from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. We have 34 cameras we deploy for four months out of the year, and any time an animal walks in front of them, they're triggered to take a photo. St. Louis drew special recognition in this paper because we have the strongest correlation of all the cities surveyed, the strongest correlation between affluence and biodiversity. What does that mean? It reflects an inequity in folks' access to nature. I'm Sarah Fenske. In cities around the world, scientists have theorized about what they call the luxury effect. But it isn't about the number of Prada stores or gourmet groceries per zip code. Instead, it's about wildlife. The more affluent the community, they posited, the greater the biodiversity in mammal species there. Seth Magley is director of the Urban Wildlife Information Network. He explained why researchers find the luxury effect worth studying. Now, the luxury effect specifically is something we've been interested in for a while because we know that animals don't just live in a city or not live in a city, right? They're attracted to certain neighborhoods, and there's all different kinds of uh, things we can look at to try to understand what kinds of neighborhoods they live in. The luxury effect, though, is something that people have hypothesized for a lot of years, that, well, maybe animals live in the wealthier neighborhoods because maybe there's more gardens or maybe there's more green space or something like that. And it had been tested uh, here and there with different cities using different methods, but never in a way where you could look across a whole region like the United States and say, okay, yes, this is really happening or no, it's really not. It was always kind of, oh, maybe it's here, maybe it's not there. We don't know why. So this study was very exciting because we finally had enough data to really address it across a really broad scale and see how strong is this luxury effect if it's even real. And that is Seth Magley, the first author on a new paper in Global Change Biology. That study looked at 20 cities around the U.S. and found a luxury effect in half of them. It actually found that St. Louis has the highest correlation between affluence and biodiversity. Seth Magley said it's highly unusual to see a study with this kind of breadth because it's unusual to see researchers in 20 cities all working together to understand urban wildlife. And I think it's really a testament to the fact that these issues are becoming more and more critical to people. We're, we're more and more we're understanding that urban wildlife matters, right? They've been ignored. They've been completely disregarded by biologists for centuries. But slowly we're starting to realize that animals that live in cities are just as interesting and potentially uh, just as valuable as species that live anywhere else. And so I've been really excited to be a part of this research that St. Louis is really a critical component of. And joining us now for more about what researchers found and how is Solny Otto-Steinson. She is a staff scientist at Washington University's Tyson Research Center, co-founder of the STL Wildlife Project, and a co-author on the Global Change Biology paper about the luxury effect. So Solny, welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So as Seth noted, this study involved a whole lot of people. What does it take to study something like this in 20 cities at once? Oh, yeah, it's an enormous effort. Um, so like you said, we're one of 20 cities that were part of this, and the effort on the ground is enormous. Um, our local St. Louis Wildlife Project here, as you mentioned, I co-lead along with um, fantastic collaborators, Beth Bureau, who works at Tyson Research Center with me, and Whitney Anthony Sami, who's a professor at the University of Health Sciences and Pharmacy. 
Uh, the three of us got this going back in 2018 with support of lots of local partners. Um, we've been using trail cameras, basically, to sample wildlife all across the metro region. Um, so what that actually looks like on the ground is we have 34 cameras located from the arch grounds downtown all the way out. If you basically draw a straight line out to Route 66 State Park, uh, we have 34 cameras we deploy for four months out of the year. And any time an animal walks in front of them, they're triggered to take a photo. And then we involve lots of volunteers, both students and folks from the community, uh, to actually go through those images and figure out what is in them, what species they are, and kind of what they're doing. And so all that data has been collected uh, for a few years now, and we we're able to contribute all of that that wealth of information uh, to this study. So I have to ask, um, what are some of the species that you found? Of course, you got squirrels, but like, what else are you finding here? <laughs> so many squirrels. Yep, uh, lots of squirrels, but a, a pretty decent variety of species are found all across the, the urbanization gradient here. So um, we see plenty of coyotes red foxes, raccoons, opossums, um, some further out on uh, towards the more rural side of the transect, we'll see bobcats, even gray foxes and armadillos, of mm. course, deer. Um, yeah, the list goes on. <laughs> wow. So a lot of biodiversity out there. And St. Louis drew special recognition in this paper because we have the strongest correlation of all the cities surveyed, the strongest correlation between affluence and biodiversity. What does that mean? Right. For one thing, I, it's not something we should be proud of here. Uh, basically, that means um, in the study that we looked at, this looked at affluence in terms of the median income in an area and then related that to how many different mammal species were found at that camera location in that neighborhood. Um, and so we're seeing that the wealthier areas had more diversity present. Mm. Um, and so what that means overall is it, I think, reflects one of the big inequities one of many inequities across our region. And, and in this case, it, it reflects an inequity in folks' access to nature, right? So um, if, if there are more species in your community, it seems to be related to the income there. Hmm. And, and therefore, it's yeah, distributed unequally. So I, the bigger point, I, I certainly get what you're saying there, and I can see how this isn't a good thing. But I got to say, you know, every time I go visit my parents in the suburbs, deer are just terrorizing them. Um, you know, my dad is just, he does, he's apoplectic that the deer keep eating everything in their yard and like they're <laughs> everywhere and, you know, they're hitting cars left and right. I'm happy to live in a more dense urban neighborhood where I don't have to worry about that. Isn't there maybe some good in not having some of these close wildlife encounters? There is certainly, there can be negative human wildlife encounters for sure. Um, but I think one of the things we're trying to get at with work like this is to understand not only what features of the landscape can help us 
preserve the, the greatest diversity of species, but also how we can minimize those types of, of human-wildlife conflicts. Mm-hmm. Right? So, for example, with deer um, or and larger species like that that need a lot of habitat area to move, um, some cities have implemented strategies like building green corridors or wildlife underpasses over roads um, to help mitigate those things. And, and then that is a win-win for both the wildlife and the human. Hmm. So what you're finding here is almost a starting point where there's policy recommendations or planning recommendations could come out of this. Right, exactly. That's what we're hoping to get to eventually. I mean, as Seth said in the beginning, this this study was enormous in its scope and ability to identify and study these broad scale patterns. Uh, but there's a lot more to dig into here. And, and one of the big goals in the long term is try, trying to figure out what kinds of policy recommendations we can make and hopefully to work more with urban planners and, and folks who have an influence on, on making those kind of decisions on the ground about our, our neighborhoods and our parks and how they um, are structured. So I also find myself thinking about um, the areas that you looked at in this. Basically, you're looking at the central corridor of the city and then, you know, headed down, um, you know, headed down the highway as things get progressively suburban and then more rural. And I wonder if you would have gotten a different result if instead of the central corridor, if you went to, say, North St. Louis, which is not nearly as densely populated these days, but is also not affluent at all. Have, have you considered maybe expanding this? I'm, I'm curious, like, what kind of results you'd get if, if you looked that way? Yeah, you, that is an excellent point and something that uh, my collaborators and I have been thinking about a lot, especially in terms of the, the results of this study. Uh, so actually, right now, we're in the process of trying to connect with new neighborhoods and, and land managers throughout the region. And um, we're hoping to expand to have you know more of these transects or sampling areas represent more of the region. Um, so, you know, we we're hoping to to connect with folks who who want us to do this work and maybe have an interest in in figure, helping us figure out how you know forces shaping these inequities across our city may may affect people's access to to nature and ecosystem services. Mm. Um, our, our biggest priority area, as you pinpointed, is building a new transect that sort of moves north into North County. Um, and little by little, we're, we're hoping to, to get there with, with community input and support. And so far, we've just added one new site, uh, which is in the College Hill neighborhood. And we've been working with residents there and the Green City Coalition to make that happen. That's very cool. And so this, uh, you know, you were doing this uh, 34 different cameras um, tracking this for quite a few years. Does that work continue now, even though this study has been published? Yes, it does. Um, and we're able to, to gather data to do our own studies locally, as well as contribute to other studies that are network-wide, like the one that was just published. Uh, so, yeah, we have actually cameras out right now, and uh, we're, we're hoping to continue this as, as long as we can. <laughs> <laughs> well, Seth Magley, who we heard from earlier, he again is the lead author on the study that ran in uh, Global Change Biology. He said this about what he hopes comes out of this study and its findings. I think that when you can understand why certain animals can do well in some neighborhoods and not others, it gives you a lot of power. If you can combine your efforts, for example, with people like urban planners and landscape architects, then you can start to create what we think of as a blueprint for wildlife-inclusive cities. So 
if we see some species in this example that are that are more common in wealthier neighborhoods, we can do a little bit of a deeper dive and say, okay, why is it? What is it about those neighborhoods that, that creates a situation for those species? And then I think more critically, we can ask the question, do we want more of that species? Is it something that we want to encourage, to that we want to conserve and encourage to live in cities? Or maybe is it something we, we don't? Maybe is it a nuisance species and we want to do the opposite? We want to try to create the kind of neighborhoods that aren't attractive to that species. Uh, in this way, we have power to really be active about what kind of wildlife we want to curate into our cities uh, and not just sort of sit back and see what shows up. And that, again, is Seth Magley, the director of the Urban Wildlife Information Network. Um, Solney, in terms of that deeper dive that he talked about that might be possible coming from this data, is there anything that you'd point to in the St. Louis data where it's like, yeah, this is something that we may want to drill down on going forward? Uh, definitely. That's something we've started to do already, um, especially in relation to the luxury effect. We've actually been working with an undergraduate student uh, through our Tyson Fellowship Program uh, who has been digging into that relationship uh, between wealth and biodiversity and actually discovered a fairly strong negative relationship between wealth and impervious surface along the area we sampled, meaning and by impervious surface, I mean like roads or areas that are paved over. So actually, the wealthier areas in our region, in, in this, the, the spot where we sampled, um, tend to have more unpaved areas, more green space. And, and this is, we're finding this is the case both within the city and out in the county. Um, so that's just one example of the kinds of, of things we're trying to uh, drill into to understand the mechanisms behind this relationship. But, yeah, we're hoping to bring in more collaborators who work maybe more on the, the sociology um, and the political side of the system to better understand some of the, the social impacts um, of, of this kind of work. And thinking about your 34 cameras, I guess maybe 35 now, because you've added uh, ones at, in the College Hill neighborhood in, in North St. Louis. Um, as they're out there capturing wildlife, have you also captured a lot of, like, just cats running around, feral cats? Yes, we have seen quite a few feral cats at nearly all of our sites now, um, even out in the really rural areas, too. Is that um, a problem when it comes to biodiversity? I mean, cats are, we love them, but they're predators. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a huge problem for for especially smaller mammals and birds. Um, and so having feral cat populations is, is definitely concerning for, for conserving biodiversity. Hmm. Is that something that maybe there may need to be a deeper dive on that? I hate to be targeting these cats here. I'm, I'm feeling really guilty to call attention to this. <laughs> cats are lovely indoor pets, of course. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, it's something that we hope to investigate a little further. And um, you know, when we find cats on our cameras, often they have unique um, patterns to their fur, right? So we can actually start to see how many, in some cases, turn up in different places. So that might help us figure out um, which areas maybe have have bigger problems for biodiversity. Hmm. Wow. So there's so much interesting data here. I imagine you're going to be busy for years um, getting your head around everything you've got there and, and how exciting to have that. So uh, Solny, Solny Adelsteinson, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure.
This episode was produced by Laura Hamden with audio engineering by Aaron Dorr and production assistance from Jane Mather Glass. It was mixed and edited by Jane. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.